You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Thanks, Tan. Hey, good to be with you over the airwaves again this morning. Um, miss you guys. Miss you so much. Um, I ran into Rene DeSantana in Coles last night and I just about put him in my shopping trolley and took him home. I just, I, <laughs> I miss you guys a lot. But hey, we're going to talk about prayer for the next couple of weeks. Um, why not be praying that we can get back together just as soon as possible? Like all of us back together. Um, please be praying for that. Uh, please be praying for me now, actually. I'd love you to just, just take a minute to pray for me. I have been wide awake since 3.45 this morning, and I have no idea why, um, but I'm, like, my body mass is now about 25% caffeine. So um, pray that uh, we can get through this together. I won't say anything that gets me fired. All right, so we're going to talk about prayer for the next two weeks, and we're just going to be focused in on uh, that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, the prayer that Tan just read for us the prayer that uh, comes sort of at the really the the heart of the sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 6 and uh, we're going to focus in on that because no matter how mature we are in the faith and no matter how proficient we are in prayer we must always keep coming back to that prayer that jesus taught us to pray it's so Vital, and I hope that we see that this morning and next week. This morning we're just going to uh, look up until verse 10, and then we'll do the rest next Sunday. Um, I'm so pleased. One of the things that encourages me most about our church at the moment uh, is to see what God has done over many years in building this church into a house of prayer. We, we kind of made this declaration. I remember standing up here and, and I hadn't thought it through. It was a little bit, you know, shooting from the hip. But I said um, that I, I wanted to see this church become a house of prayer. That is where, a, a place where prayer is at the very heartbeat of all that we do. It's the most important thing we do, the thing that we prioritize over everything else. Uh, And I'm just grateful that God has been answering our prayers that we would become a house of prayer. To any extent that that's true, it's a gift of God's grace. And and His grace works through people. So let me just honor a couple of people for you. Um, I want to honor John and Suzanne Hargrave because... They have not only been here from the day one, they not only moved into this area when it was a bunch of paddocks in order to be part of the church before any building was here, long before I ever turned up. Um, not, not only that, but they have carried so much of the ministry, both operations and uh, ministry for so long. Uh, but the thing that I love most about the last couple of years is that they have, um, that they have spent more and more of their time praying for our church and leading us in prayer, shaping us to be a prayerful church. It's a a great indication to me that we're doing things right, that uh, John and Suzanne are actually doing less now than they were years ago. And you you might say, that's impossible, they do everything. And that's true, but they're actually doing less stuff and spending more time doing the most important thing, which is teaching us to pray doing what we, what, what we hope Jesus will do this morning, 
teaching us to pray. And so you might be joining them during their Zoom lunchtime prayer at the moment throughout the week, 12.30 to 1 on weekdays. You might be showing up to Kingdom Prayer last Monday of the month uh, in the evening each month. Uh, you might be um, even joining us on Tuesday mornings for our extended period of prayer. Whatever the case, I just, I, I'm so thankful to God that he is and will continue, I believe, to build us into this house of prayer that we so desire to be. One of the reasons that I found it so helpful this past week studying the Lord's Prayer and one of the reasons it's so helpful to keep coming back to this teaching on prayer is because it's, it's really straightforward teaching. Jesus, kind of unlike him in some ways, is really straightforward. When the disciples come to him and say, teach us to pray, he just gives it to them straight, which, which really is unlike Jesus. He's kind of frustrating like this, at least for me. Uh, you know, with all due respect, he's frustrating because he very often doesn't give a straightforward answer. When somebody asks him a question, he's like um, a really good teacher in that way. Uh, the best teachers I've ever had don't tend to give straightforward, you know, answers by rote. They want us to think for ourselves. They want us to gain knowledge for ourselves rather than just doing it jug to mug. This is my experience of Peter Adam, who you know as the guy that comes and preaches here from time to time. I met him back in the early 2000s at Ridley College when he was the principal there and he really took me under his wing. He tended to do this with students who were way out of their depth. Um, and I remember asking him one day, you know, can I just come visit with you once a week and, um, and spend some time with you? I didn't know the the idea of mentoring at the time but that's really what I was asking for just an opportunity for him to help kind of guide me uh, through college and so I would go to his office once a week for an hour and just sit down with him and like his office was just wall-to-wall -wall books floor-to-ceiling books and I knew that he'd read all of them um, probably memorized them uh, and clocks Clocks everywhere. He loves clocks. Taking clocks apart, putting them back together. So it's clocks, books, and then a, a really honestly world-class theologian. And so I'm just sitting there, and I've got a thousand questions to ask him throughout the course of the hour, and he almost never answered me directly. <laughs> he would say annoying things like, well, what do you think? Or where in the Bible would you go to find that out for yourself? Like, you know, and that's, it's frustrating. It's just like Jesus with his disciples so often. <laughs> But when it comes to this, he gives them some very clear, straightforward, to the point direction. I don't know why that is. It might just be because prayer is so important. It might be because the elements of our prayers are actually important. The, um, the flow of our prayers, the structure of our prayers are that important. I don't know. But whatever the case, Jesus here gives us some very clear teaching on prayer and I hope that we just soak up as much of it as we can over the next two sermons. So let's begin in verse 7. We're sort of jumping into the middle here of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel. Verse 7 says this, When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. So we actually have a good amount of 
uh, evidence in the historical record for what the prayers of the pagans were like in the first century, the, the context that Jesus is speaking into, the, the, the prayer life, the religious rituals of pagan Gentiles are quite well known from the historical record. And what we know about their prayer life is, is this. The pagan Gentiles at the time didn't have a relationship with God or the gods as they knew them. They didn't, they didn't pray to God in, in a relational sense that, you know, how Jesus teaches us to pray to a father who knows us and loves us. They were more just kind of, it was more of a kind of machine gun approach to prayer. Like there is a whole pantheon of gods uh, we don't know what they're like exactly, and part of the reason we don't know is because sometimes they get out of the bed on the wrong side, and you know they're, they're very um, capricious and hard to, to to predict. And so, if you're in trouble, you just chuck out prayers as like 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 casting seed. Like right? you just broadcast your prayers to as many gods as possible, and hopefully you hit one in a good mood on a certain day right and so that that was their approach and you you what you ended up with with is these kind of mantras right prayers that you say over and over and over again and just hope that you hit a receptive god out in the universe somewhere these kinds of prayers are the prayers that you would pray if you were a pagan in the first century whose life was normal and by normal i mean dangerous like fraught with danger often very short and tenuous, living day to day in a very anxious environment. Right? That's the, the average pagan in the first century in Jesus' day. And so their prayers reflected that. It was an anxious, mantra-like repetition of prayers scattered out to the universe. It was an attempt, really, to manipulate the gods, because they're in charge and I'm not, to manipulate them to be good to me, to make sure I'm okay. Jesus says, don't be like them. We need to hear this. I mean, I, I just know this is how I pray sometimes. I don't know if the, it, this could just be me, but for as long as I can remember, my prayers are sometimes like this, and it's most often when I'm anxious. I'll find myself feeling anxious. I'll start to pray because that's what I was taught to do. If you're anxious, pray. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. Pray about everything, right? But then I'll start to pray, Lord, please, you know, help me in this situation. And then I will catch myself minutes later having just said the same thing over and over and over again in this very kind of obsessive, compulsive, anxious mantra-like babbling. And that's what you do when you're not connecting with God as Father. That's what you do when you're just speaking out of your anxiety, you babble. Jesus says, don't do that. Verse 8, he says, don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. Your Father knows. You know, the, the broader context for this teaching on prayer is really important to know. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, another name for it could be um, how to live if God is your Father. Not as catchy as Sermon on the Mount, but how to live if God is your Father. You read through the Sermon on the Mount and you will see that over and over and over again. How do you live in this world if 
whoa, God is my daddy. God is my father. This teaching um, is, is riddled throughout the Sermon on the Mount. It forms the basis of this prayer that Jesus is going to tell us. It's, in my view, the most important aspect of the prayer to know and to take a hold of. And it was also revolutionary for Jesus' hearers. Now, the, these the Jewish believers did know that God was Father. It's mentioned, you know, a few times in the Old Testament, nowhere near as much as what Jesus mentions it, even just here in this one sermon. But they understood that God was sort of the Father of the nation of Israel. He was, he's, he's the Father of all of us in a kind of meaningful but distant way. What Jesus is saying here is, no, God is not just the Father of Israel. He's your Father. He's your Father. You're His child. Not just children of Israel, but you are a child of God. And so this is what he said. This is the most important aspect of what he's going to teach us. When you pray, pray like God knows you. Your Father knows the things that you need before you ask Him. And we've done, because we're smart, Alex, we've, done, we've taken that line, I've said this myself, and, and, and we've turned it into this kind of philosophical argument, like, well, do we really need to pray then if God already knows what we need before we ask Him? That's not the point of what He's saying. The point of what He's saying is pray to God like God knows you. Pray to God like he is a father who is intimately involved in your life, not some distant, pantheonic recipient of your scattergun prayers, but a, but a father who chats with you, a father who knows you, a father you can snuggle up with. Because God is father, then you don't need to manipulate him. You don't need to get all of the words of the prayer in exactly the right order and say them with the right inflection and, and, and repeat them enough that you will unlock the secret door of God's interest. Prayer is not a spell that you cast. Prayer is chatting to Daddy. You don't need to manipulate him. I remember there was a period, maybe about a year ago, where India, my daughter India, would, whenever she wanted something that she knew I probably wouldn't let her have, she would have this whole routine for her way of asking me. She would say, she would put on what she referred to her, uh, as her super cute face, and she would kind of, it was like a cartoon kitten, right, right, big eyes and, you know, all small, and, and she would ask with a certain inflection in her voice, like very, like daddy's little girl, and then ask for the ice cream on toast or whatever, and, 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 and what I, what I, the reason it doesn't happen anymore was because I said, sweetheart, you don't need to do this. I'm your daddy. Just ask. You don't need to manipulate me. She knows that word. You don't need to manipulate me. Just ask. I'm your daddy. Just ask. That's what Jesus is saying. There's no manipulation required. His prayer that he teaches us to pray is very straightforward, very simple. No spells cast, no mantras recited, no beads counted. 
He says, don't pray like people who don't know God and don't pray as if God doesn't know you. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, he says uh, in chapter 7, verse 9 to 11, he says, uh, Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? To those who ask him. So instead of all of that manipulation and spell casting and, and mantra reciting and bead counting, instead of all of that nonsense, verse 9, first part of verse 9, he says, Therefore, you should pray like this Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Everything about this prayer is intentional. It's all killer, no filler. He's not just, he's not just shooting from the hip here. This is, this, is, this is how to pray if you want to have a prayer life like Jesus. Jesus who was intimately in relationship with God. He says, pray like this, our Father in heaven where he starts is so vital uh, let me just labor the point a little bit because i know most of us saying yeah we've we've prayed we even call this prayer the our father prayer we get it we've said it a 10 million times and that's the problem familiarity breeds contempt so lest we have contempt for this astonishing prayer let's just labor it a little bit where Jesus starts here is so important. Our Father in heaven. That's how you pray. Now, it's not you must pray this way. He's not saying this is what you should pray, but how you should pray. That is, you can address our Lord Jesus. You can address the Holy Spirit. You can address God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The point is, you address God on the terms of your relationship with him. You are his child. He is your father. Where you start is so important. I went hiking when I was on my annual leave a whole lot. I told you about a couple of my experiences. One of them, most of them are bad, it turns out. Or maybe I only tell you the bad ones. Um, I'm really an outstanding hiker, uh, an expert in my field. But um, when I, I went to a new place uh, when I was on leave that I've never been to before and I thought to myself I'm not going to use the uh, all trails app that I normally use that shows me exactly where to go with live updated GPS I'm just going to read a bit about this trail before I get there park at the trailhead and then just see how I go um, navigating by the by the topography and anyway so I got to the place and the reason that I was immediately lost and spent the rest of the day trying to find my way back to the car is because I parked at the wrong trailhead. In fact, it wasn't a trailhead at all. And I should have known that because I had to get through two barbed wire fences to start the walk, all right? So it should have been quite obvious. But the point is, I started at the wrong place and so I was on the wrong track from the beginning. This is so important. We need to see where Jesus begins. Our Father in heaven. 
if you're going to pray and enjoy the kind of prayer life that Jesus enjoyed at the very heart of all that he did, then you need to know who you're praying to. You need to know what he's like. You need to know how he feels about you. If you don't know that, then your prayer life is going to be on the wrong track from the beginning. You're going to be stumbling and fumbling and never getting anywhere. You need to know who God is and what he's like. Now, look, some of us, some of us get off on the wrong track immediately because we relate to God in a very defensive way or in a, uh, uh, a way that, that whenever we come before God, we feel like we have to placate him. We, we feel like we have to apologize immediately. We feel like we ha- we, we, we're, we're always on the back foot with him because God, for some of us, is like that very, that, that kind of teacher or employer who is never impressed with anything that we do. That's the way that we see God. That whenever he shows up, he's like, ugh, you again. Or you did that again. Or why can't you ever do this? That's how we conceive of who God is. And so we relate to him on that basis. Just think about that teacher. For me, it was my grade four teacher. She was this very officious British woman. And I hated her. Uh, but I had good reason to. She made me cry just about every day. And, 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 and nothing was ever good enough for her. And so the, how did I relate to her? Whenever she showed up in the playground, I immediately felt like I must be doing something wrong. I feel, I'm just ready to apologize. What, what am I doing? My, what, is there something wrong with my appearance? I've got a hair out of place, right? So, or, some of us relate to God like that because we, that's how we conceive of him. He's very officious. He's very, uh, he, he's a neatnik. He's just watching for that, like that misstep that you took. He's always looking through your internet history. He doesn't need to, by the way, because he sees all. The point is he sees all and he doesn't destroy us. He sees all and he's drawn to us. Why? Because he's our father who loves us. I had this, my first boss was, uh, not my first boss, but my first proper boss was uh, when I worked at a Shell service station. I was an 18 year old kid and my boss was terrible, a horrible human being. And she, uh, from day one, hated me. She told me for the, on the first phone call I had with her when I found out that I was working at her shell, she said, I was really hoping for someone else. <laughs> Pleased to meet you too. And then when I told her that I wanted to have Friday nights off because I was doing, I was involved in the youth group at church, she just berated me and belittled me for being involved in a church like a loser. And then every time she came into the store, which was whenever I was working, she would just walk around and say, whatever was out of place, those drinks haven't been unpacked yet. You haven't swept these floors yet. And so my response whenever she turned, turned up to work was that my anxiety would go up and I would be on the back foot and I would be just ready to apologize for anything that I'd done wrong. That's how some of us relate to God, our Father. And it's wrong. That's not who God is. 
Jesus specifically uses the word here that we would translate today, daddy, right? It's not just father who ought to be respected, but daddy who wrestles us, snuggles us, spoils us. That's who God is. You have to know this more than anything else. Now, the problem is that some of us hear that and we immediately project our own experience of our biological daddies onto God and it all goes to hell from there because some of us have had dads who abused us, right? Whenever we did anything wrong, they smacked us hard, punched us in the face, did damage to us physically. Some of us have had daddies who sexually abused us. Never get over that. Some of us had daddies who are just generally uninterested in us. Right? Kids for him were kind of just all right, kind of an inconvenience. And some of us had daddies that were just okay, they were just normal, they were good. And in every case, even when we project our good daddy onto God our Father, we damn him with faint praise because he's not like any of those dads. In every way that they were imperfect, he is perfection. This is what he says of himself in Isaiah 55. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. As heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's not just our Father, but our Father in heaven. As heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways, my thoughts, my words, my deeds higher than yours, earthly daddies. So I understand the genuine difficulty that some of us have with relating to God as Father because our dads were bad dads or just average dads. It's understandable and it's something you've got to put to death because it's a lie, a satanic lie that will keep you from God. It's a satanic barrier that exists between you and your relationship with a Father who is perfect in every way and loves you in every way and has no reservations. Well, everyone look at me for a second. God the Father right now has no reservations whatsoever about loving you with everything he's got. And that's with the thing that you said to your wife last night. That's knowing that thing. Our Father in heaven. Pray that you would know God as Father, as the Father that he is, not the one that you've imagined him to be. Hey, so the rest of our, uh, the rest of this um, prayer that Jesus prays, we're going to um, look at next week but before we finish today I just want to look at the the, that next verse in verse 10 so let's read there chapter 6 well let's do 9 and 10 together he says therefore you should pray like this our father in heaven your name be honored as holy your kingdom come 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I like that translation, Christian Standard Bible. I like even more Tom Wright's translation in, in the New Testament for everyone. He said, and, and I've laid it out here in a way that I think clicked for me the first time this past week. All right, So he translates it like this. So this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. As in heaven, so on earth. So you have this threefold prayer, threefold, it's kind of a, a prayer blessing. It's blessing God for all that he is. And it's a prayer that, that that which he is in heaven would be true with us here on earth. So we're praying three things. We're praying that God's name would be honored. As it is in heaven, so on earth. We're praying that his kingdom would come as it is in heaven, so it would be on earth. And we're praying that his will will be done as it is in heaven, so it will be on earth. This is a prayer for God's kingdom to be present among us, which is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. How to live if God is your father and the kingdom of God is among us. The kingdom of God came in Jesus, God in flesh but it hasn't yet come in its fullness. So in the meantime, in the time between those two great events, we pray, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. God is in heaven and everything we yearn for will be realized when heaven comes to earth. That's the vision of the Christian life. We went through this a dozen times in 1 Thessalonians, right? It's not that we get whisked up to heaven where everything is okay. It's that the glory of God comes to earth and renews all things. And so that's how Jesus prays and that's how we should pray. We approach God on the basis of who he is and how he feels about us, loves us, cherishes us, desires and yearns for us. And then we pray that everything good about him and his kingdom would be true here on earth. It wasn't until I rode into work this morning on my bike, I was riding up the hill towards the lake here and it clicked for the first time in my head that those three things that Jesus prays for, those three things, each one as they are done, the other two get drawn in and, and filled up. So let me explain. As God's name is honored, on the face of the earth, his kingdom comes and his will is done. And as his kingdom comes on the earth, his name is honored and his will is done. And as his will is done, his name is honored and his kingdom comes. And so that's why we pray for all three of those things. I started thinking more about it like, this is exactly what we should be praying. I don't know, some of you are like, yeah, we've been doing it for two years, buddy. But it just occurred to me, this is how we should be praying right now. This mess that we're in, this is a way to pray for and lament over the mess that we find ourselves in right now. 
every mess that we have found ourselves in, ever, has been a mess because these three things haven't been present in their fullness. And so this mess we find ourselves in, this pandemic, this is how you pray for it and this is how you lament over it. And I started thinking more, man, this is any situation you find yourself in. Your kid is sick. Your marriage is breaking up. Right? You're, you're, you're trying to discern the, the next step in your career. I don't know, just, I'm talking about any situation you find yourself in. You can pray these three things into that. Pray that in, in this thing, whatever it is, global pandemic, sick kid, broken marriage, employment decision, whatever it is, you pray that God's name would be honored above everything else. More than me, more than my intentions, more than my kingdom, we pray that God's name, his renown, his glory would be known. As it is in heaven right now, with 10,000 angels singing his praises, may it be so in this room that I'm standing in. And so it is for God's kingdom to come. And so it is for his will to be done. Whatever the situation, global pandemic or teething toddler, you pray these three things. God have mercy. Please hear and answer our prayers. I would challenge you this week to pray. I mean, there's more than this. We're going to get to the rest next week. And, uh, you know, you can go beyond the Lord's Prayer. It's just a model for us. It's not the whole thing. But pray at least these three things. Whenever you find yourself praying, pray. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, I pray that in this situation, or, or just, you know, like even just, take, if the earth is too overwhelming, then reduce it down to this household. May your name be honored in this household as it is in heaven. Huh, imagine if that happened. Imagine what life would be like in your household, in my household, if God's name was honored in my house as it is in heaven, that his kingdom would come in my house as it is in heaven. No more building up, building up, building up my own kingdom for my own glory, but his kingdom coming in its fullness. That his will would be done in my house as it is in heaven. Oh my God, imagine it would be everything that you've ever yearned for. We're going to, after this series, get into Romans 8 for uh, fourth term leading up to Advent. And there Paul talks about this yearning, this groaning, not only we, but the creation itself has this yearning for God's kingdom to come. Pray into that yearning. And you'll be praying like Jesus. <laughs> um, I just want to read the rest of the, the prayer uh, as a kind of bridge into next week. This is what we're going to be looking at next week. So read ahead, 
chat in your family or small group or whatever. Uh, pray through it for us and we'll get, to, um, we'll get to the rest of this next week. Jesus goes on and says, Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And then the bit that we leave off because it's just too damn scary. He says, for if you forgive others their offences, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offences. We'll get to that next week. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your name would be honoured in this church. We pray that your kingdom would come in this church. We pray that your will would be done in this church. In this church building and in this church family. In every household represented on the screens right now. We pray that this would be true. That you would be merciful and gracious and bring all these things to bear in our lives, even this day, Lord. I pray for us in this coming week, Lord, that you would be prompting us by your spirit that dwells within us, prompting us to pray. Prompting us to approach you on the basis of who you are and whose we are. Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.